Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. It's all throughout. Believe, 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 believe. That's the theme of the chapter. God wants me, God wants you to believe in Him. Believe in what He said, believe in what He did, believe in Him. Trust in, rely on, depend on, put your faith in Him and His Word. That's what He wants us to do. That's the work. In the gospel, someone said, I want to do the work. You know, I want to do the work of God. What's the work of God? Jesus said, this is the work of God. Believe on him who sent me. That's the work you could do. Believe in me. Believe in the one who sent me. As humans, we are pretty good at making rules. There are rules for everything from driving to paying taxes, not to mention all the unwritten rules that every culture has. It's not hard to come up with rules for others to follow. When it comes to someone's faith, though, it's important that we don't start coming up with more rules than what God has given. All throughout Romans 4, Pastor Bill shows us that Paul doesn't emphasize the rules that religious leaders enacted. He iterates the importance of simply believing in God. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 4 as he continues his message, Your money is no good here. God says, look, I, I'll take care of your debt. For the person that says, I've already amassed this, this huge debt of sin. Now I'm going to start working. God says, you go ahead and work. You can be in debt. You, you just remain in debt. Even worse than that, there's another sin, the sin of unbelief, the sin of not receiving, the sin of not believing in me. You're in debt already and it's just getting worse. That's what you got to consider when you see the Jehovah's Witness at your door when you see the Mormon on their bike, when you got the, the, their Muslim friend, all these people, they're in debt. There needs to be a heart of compassion and some mercy and at least try to witness to them. Don't write them off. Don't say, oh, they never listen anyway. Just say something. I'm, I'm a, I try to make it a point. I'm going to just say something anyway. They don't appreciate it all the time. They don't always agree, but at least I'm going to say something. They're in debt. They're in a terrible place. You know, some people are in financial debt and it weighs on them because they know they're in financial debt. But spiritual debt is far worse and people are ignorant of the fact that they're in it. And so God uses us many times to point that out for them. Hey, do you know your condition before God? Do you know that this is where you really stand and trying to help people to come to those conclusions? So God says for him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt, further in debt. But then in verse five, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. And I want to point that out. We believe on him who justifies the ungodly. That's us. We're the ungodly. Maybe you don't think you're that bad. Maybe you don't think you're the ungodly. But y'all know I love you. I love you. I love myself too. And I'm telling y'all, we are the ungodly. We're we're this group. He says, but we believe on him who justifies the ungodly. That's why come, there are going to be people that are shocked when you get to heaven and see who made it. He made it? I he could be saved, you know, there, there, there are people that you'd be astounded that because hey, God justifies the ungodly. They're going to be some terrible people on earth that break through heaven. They knew they were terrible. There's some people that in prison had time. They said Man, nah. they got time. They had Bibles. There are people that have been saved in prison on death row. I remember watching a documentary of I believe it was Jeffrey Dahmer, one of those guys that was a serial, you know, raped and cut bodies and did all kind of weird stuff and then went to prison had, was going to you know go to the, the, the electric chair whatever but got saved and uh, James Dobson went into the prison and interviewed him and I thought I want to hear what this dude got to say you know 
And I sat there and listened to this man and I'm like, dude, he is saved. I mean, you know, you listen to somebody and you're listening, you're saying he's received the gospel. What he's sharing, he says, I know what I did was wrong. He explained his childhood and where he got introduced to perversion and pornography and where it entered into his heart and how he got down so far where he ended up at. And he explained his conversion experience, how the Lord met him in prison and showed him what he was and how he had a hard time accepting it. But he got to the point where he had received it and believed. And he said, now I just know I know I'm going to pay for my sins. I, I deserve to die for it. I'm not trying to get out of it. I won't appeal it, but I know I'm going to heaven. The lady interviewing him, she almost couldn't stand the thought that this man could think that he would go to heaven after what he did. But I'm sitting there understanding the gospel saying, I mean, that's the God we serve. Right now, I look at Jeffrey Dahmer and say, if he can make it, <laughs> I mean, I ain't mad. I mean, I'm if he can make it. Then we good. You know, then we, we all got hope. You know, I, I don't look at him and say he shouldn't get to go. No, I, I mean, I should. But he should. I look at him and say, if God will save him. I mean, glory. We, my confidence is, is boosted that God will forgive anybody that will turn to him. That's going to be the heart of the Christian that knows you didn't earn it either. When you see somebody else that's horrible and you see them make a turnaround, you, you'd be excited in your heart. Right. There shouldn't be a, a case where a believer sees someone turn to God and says, I don't think they I don't, not for them. We should. The believer's heart should be excited about anybody turning to Jesus. Anybody. It just shines light on the greatness of our God. Doesn't diminish. It really glorifies him that, look, that that guy could be saved. Glory to God. God is so amazing. The blood of Christ reaches far. The blood of the blood of Christ is able to cleanse all sin. So that should give me confidence when I'm out sharing the gospel. Have I ever met somebody so bad that God couldn't reach him? No, no. I found many times that it's those that are further out there that are they're more reachable. I find when I'm speaking to people that are kind of way out, I don't really hear a lot of, you know, well, you know, I think I should go to heaven or whatever. Those are people that know I, I need help. They're a little closer to reality. You find somebody that's doing OK in their sin. And a lot of times that's where you meet people that feel like I think I'm OK without it. I'm getting along just fine. Matter of fact, you know, and those are the harder people to reach sometimes. So anyway, God who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So. We should be able to rejoice in that. Look at verses six through eight. Now he looks at David. David is another example. Verses six through eight, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is a man to whom the Lord does shall not impute sin. And that word impute, again, it's, it's God's not going to put it to their account. Now, David knew something about what he was talking about. Everybody know what David did, right? David sinned. Um, he broke a whole bunch of commandments. I mean, he didn't honor his parents. Uh, he committed adultery. He coveted his neighbor's wife. He stole. I mean, you just it's like he, he broke a whole gang of commandments of the 10. That's just the 10. And his sin with Bathsheba and murdering her husband, Right. He broke a whole bunch of commandments, but to this guy, and he knew what he was talking about. And Psalm 32, and, and Pastor Clint read it earlier, he talked about before he had repented how his bones ached within him and what it was like that season that he spent in sin and really separated from the Lord and, and what he was doing. But David repented and he got, and the Lord forgave him, right? I look at David now, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. I read that and I think, really? Because most of us, 
You read the Psalms and hear the worshiper and just hear like David was a man. He was a worshiper. He loved the Lord. You hear David and Goliath and you think, yes, David, a man of the God's own heart. He was brave and courageous, a little cute kid. And he killed a giant and trusted God. But now nah, David, a man of the God's own heart, lusted after another man's wife. David, a man of the God's own heart, went and slept with that woman. David, a man of the God's own heart, found out she was pregnant, sent her husband to the front line and had him murdered. David, a man of the God's own heart. But you know what he did afterwards? He repented. He repented. Not like Judas, right? Judas was sorry about what he had done, but it wasn't a godly sorrow. Didn't lead to repentance. Judas is in hell, right? But he repented. He was sorry for what he had done. He repented. God forgave him. And so when David says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, he's speaking from a place of this has happened in his life. David's lawless deeds, his breaking God's laws can be forgiven whose sins are covered, blessed is a man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And God doesn't hold that against him. That's not going to be held to David's account. Something that is an amazing study, you can spend some time on it on your own later. But when you read your Old Testament and you read of the sins and the failures of the believers, as you come to the New Testament, you'll find that they're never referred to. We know because we read it what they did. But you read a account of them in the New Testament, and it's like they didn't do the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Only the good stuff is there. And you're thinking like, wait a minute. You know, I, I'm, I've read things where I'm like, no, that person did that. And then I'm looking at them in the New Testament. There's no record of it like it didn't happen. And even in the Old Testament, you read, I read the story of Second Chronicles of King Asa. And I know he started off really well, did an awesome job, put out the bad people, you know, tore down the false worship places and stuff, kicked out his own grandma. And he had a really great start, had a prayer of faith, trusted God, went out against the Ethiopians, had a victory. I mean, just great beginning. And then he got wealthy and rich and self-sufficient. And in the latter part of his life, instead of seeking God, he sought physicians, died of a foot disease. I mean, all these things at the end, I'm looking like maybe he had a great start, but a bad finish. But then when the Bible is recounting his story, it says Asa was one of the good guys. Asa did right in the sight of the Lord. And I'm like, what about other stuff? It's not there. And this is so, ah, so cool. David says, the man to whom the Lord doesn't impute iniquity, right? Your iniquity, my iniquity, his sins, your sins, my sins, they're washed away. So though I'm reading that it happened, when God is recounting his life, God's not mentioning it. It's like it's not there. It didn't happen. It's washed away. Our sins are as far as the east is from the west. That's what God does for us. That's what David is, is expounding on in, in the 32nd Psalm. He's saying, man, blessed. Oh, how happy is a man whom God doesn't impute your iniquity. It's like it didn't happen, right? Because I put my faith in him. Now I know I messed up. We all know we, have a, we messed up before we got saved. And most people are glad to share that testimony. But I'm going to just be real. Some of y'all, if, if people were to honestly share their since I've been saved testimony, all the stuff... Not, not before, not the stuff when you didn't know God, when you were just out there lost and, and blinded and didn't know better. That's all the stuff since you've known the Lord, since you've known better. Right? You know, you know, I'm not going to invite you up to share. You don't have to say nothing. But just you sit there and think about that for a minute, right? God said, I, I wash that away too. This amazes me about the Lord too, right? The Bible says that you didn't choose me, John 15, 16, Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you that you should go forth and bear much fruit and that your fruit should remain. But in choosing you and in choosing me, it's not as if God chose you. And then when you mess up later, it's like, 
oh man, I didn't know you was going. If I knew you were going, I wouldn't have chose you. You know, you really let me down. You know, God said, I, I knew all your flaws. I knew all your imperfections. I knew all that was weak and frail about you. I knew all the mistakes you would make. I chose you. I still chose you. That should just humble us. That should just cause us to be, I mean, God, knowing all of that, you still wanted me. You still wanted a relationship with me. You still chose me. You still love me. You still show mercy to me. As you consider that, it should cause us to be people that are just deeply sincere in our worship. What God has done for us. As we're sitting, what can I do? Just I can worship him. I can thank him. I can live in response to him. I can obey him. I can there's I can only respond to this great gift that's been made available to me and to you. God's forgiveness. And so, again, why is Paul going so heavy on this? Because he's speaking to people that are proud of their religion. They're proud of what they can do. And Paul is saying, man, it'd be better if y'all just laid that down and, and just received Believe I went through the chapter and I circled every time because whenever you see a word over and over again in a chapter, it's, it's the theme of the chapter. So you see the word believe over and over again. It's in verse three. It's in verse five. It's in verse 11. It's in verse 17. It's in verse 18. It's in verse you know 24. It's all throughout. Believe, 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 believe. That's the theme of the chapter. God wants me. God wants you to believe in him. Believe in what he said. Believe in what he did. Believe in him, trust in, rely on, depend on, put your faith in him and his word. That's what he wants us to do. That's the work in the gospel. Someone said, I want to do the work. You know, I want to do the work of God. What's the work of God? Jesus said, this is the work of God. Believe on him who sent me. That's the work you could do. Believe in me. Believe in the one who sent me. So moving on now, look at verses nine through 12. And this section here is going to deal with. Paul's arguing out the idea of circumcision because he's going back to Abraham and God made promises to Abraham and God confirmed Abraham as righteous before he went through the rite of circumcision, which was a really big deal to the Jews. So Paul's kind of like a, a lawyer, you know, he'll just kind of pick out some of these arguing points. You know, some of you guys are real argumentative. God could use you. God could use you. Some of y'all like to argue. I'm going to give you something. Not the way you argue right now. Some of y'all argue in the flesh, but, but you just got to, you, you could come up with an argument for everything. I want you to look at this because Paul used to argue on the other side and then he got saved. Now he's on this side, but he's still an arguer. And I want you to hear, you hear it in his teaching. He's arguing points. Well, what about this? And well, since you say you still trust in circumcision, but you think Abraham's a big deal because he was a father of the faith and he was the one that got the right of circumcision. I'm going to use Abraham. I'm going to argue my point using him. And he goes down the list. And when was Abraham counted righteous? Was it when he was circumcised? He wasn't even circumcised when God attributed that to him. And he's he's still arguing points. So I just would throw that out to you guys that like to argue stuff that God could use. You, you know, God will redeem some of the things that when we're in our flesh, the enemy is exploited. So some of y'all, you know, maybe in the world, maybe you was real suave and smooth with your words and knew how to talk to the ladies. And God may take some of that and you may be a real compelling people to come to Christ. Maybe not the ladies, though. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but God may use that. He redeemed that. Some of you guys, your mind thinks and, you know, you're arguing points all the time. God, well, just, just study the word. You find something new to argue about. Some of y'all talk a lot. Be in your word. So God will give you something good to talk about. So you still talk. I just you got something to say, but you have some right things, some edifying things, some uplifting things, some some heaven word things to say. So some of us, some of what we are, God will redeem it 
use it for his glory. That's all I'm saying. So moving on, Paul's arguing the point of circumcision. Verse 9 through 12, he says, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So all that to say, Paul is saying this. He says, you guys are making a big deal about circumcision because Abraham said do it. But do you know that Abraham was counted as righteous before he even did it by just believing? And he says, so Abraham is an example to us as well that not only those that are circumcised, but those that are uncircumcised, they can believe and be saved. The big deal back here was I can kind of understand that if you were a Jew and you kept rules and you had to be circumcised and you had to wear funny clothes, and you had to wash weird and you had to keep all these rules for all these years. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, just believe me, you can be saved. And now you got a bunch of Gentiles who as a Jew, it was cultural and kind of racial. It was like a racial tension. Jews religiously felt like they were way better than the Gentiles. And it wasn't just their belief in their culture were kind of intertwined. So they looked down upon the Gentiles. The Jews believed that the Gentiles were good for nothing but to fuel the flames of hell. They looked down on them. And so to be looking over and seeing Gentiles get saved and showing up at worship service and they're not wearing the clothes you wear. They got bacon burgers. They got bacon in their breakfast sandwich on the way to church. And you're like, what they think they doing? It's not fair. It's not right. They just want to put some of their junk off on them so bad. And Paul is saying, no, no, they're good. They're saved. They received the Lord just like you did. In Acts, they received the Holy Spirit just like you guys did. There's no difference. They're saved. You got to be careful because that tendency happens in the church. Again, there's some churches that I try really hard. Not to create rules that are in addition to the rules that God made, because I think there's enough rules already. I mean, I, I'm having a tough time already, so uh, I don't want to add to your woes, you know, but um, I got a friend of mine who's he's a pastor and he came out of a real a traditional and real legalistic denomination. And he's coming out of it, though. He's uh, the Lord's spoken to him. And he's changing it. He's even changing the name and changing how they do things. But. He said the thing that just broke him, he said there was a day where he and his wife had been witnessing to a neighbor for years and she wasn't saved and she, you know, never came to service or anything like that. And then she came down with cancer and they were there ministering to her and she said, you know, I'm going to come. And cancer had her broke down and just open and she needed the Lord. And she's not a Christian, doesn't do church, you know, but she came. And she came in and I don't know what the woman had. I wasn't there, but she wore a dress that maybe wasn't uh, in their their denomination. It wasn't a church dress. You know, it wasn't it wasn't what they felt. He says and now in their church, there's the, the pulpit and then there's the back there. There's the choir stand. He said a woman got up from the choir stand. I mean, it was this big of a deal to her made her way from the choir stand all the way down as far as that woman had come 
to go and say whatever she said to her about her outfit. And he said that the lady got up and she left and didn't hear the message. And she did die of her cancer eventually. And he said he felt he said, I feel responsible for that. That that happened at church. I mean, it's just legalistic. It's it's a. Uh, I'm gonna just say this so we know where I'm at with this. I don't care what somebody wears on the way in this place. The church is a spiritual hospital, so I expect if somebody walked into the hospital and their arm is cut off and it's bleeding, you wouldn't say you're making a mess. Get out of here, bleeding. You know that's what you, you came to the right place. Somebody could come in here looking like whatever. I'm saying leave them be. I'd love for them to sit through the message. I love for the believers that are here to, to show the love of Christ to them, to speak a word to them. Let them be. What better place could they be in? And so to run somebody out because they obviously need it is counterproductive. I think that makes Jesus mad. I think that that upsets the Lord. Um, so I don't ever want to be that. And I remember this happened when I was doing high school ministry, doing high school ministry at a church. And there was a young man that came in. There was a there was a rock group and I don't really do rock, but. Um, it was a Blink 182 and they uh, they have made these shirts and these jump these like, you know, the garage jumpers. And so this kid wore a jumper in to church. But on the back of the jumper, there was a barcode and it said people equal the S word. He wore it at the church. So I saw it and I'm like, so I'm in Revelation. I'm like, he about to get it, you know, like let him sit down. You know, we going in today. You know, we talking about we talking about that. We in the nitty gritty. Let him sit down. So my leaders were all up in arms. Like, other kids are going to read it and they're going to see. I'm like, I, this is what I told them. I, I had a meeting. I brought everybody in the back. I said, look, there's not a kid in this room that haven't heard the S word. They probably speak it. And I'm reading it today. It's not going to kill nobody. Don't say anything to him about his jumper. Let him sit here. And he sat through the message. He didn't come forward or anything like that. But he sat through the whole thing. He heard it. He left. The next week he came back. Wore it again. And they're like, are we going to say anything yet? And I had, I had one leader with that religious spirit. They, they really badly wanted me to do. They felt like I was not doing. I said, just let it be. It's not hurting nobody. He just, he's sitting through another message. And on this Sunday, the kid came forward. Give his life to the Lord. So I'm asking about his jumper. So he came back the next week and I said, hey, I'd like to, you know, take you out on to lunch. And I usually buy, kids get saved. I give them a Bible and I want to talk to him. And I said, I got to hear his story. He said, this is what happened. He says, they live in a trailer park down the street from where we were having service at. And his friend had to come to church on Sundays. So his friend was like, hey, well, come with me. So he was only coming with his friend to accompany his friend who had to come to church every Sunday. So he was, they skateboarded over. They came to church. And he said, but last, last week it got to him and he got saved and he gave his life to the Lord. And I find out about this kid living situation. Lived in a trailer park. His, he had an older brother had recently been murdered. And the brother was the breadwinner. So they were losing where they live. He was only with us for about two months and then they had to move somewhere else. And I look at that, that little window of space that we had him, oh, and think if we had to run him out because he wore the wrong outfit Whoa. and we had opportunity, he needed the gospel. So my prayer right up in here, I can't control a whole lot of places, but up in here, you see somebody walking in. If I can look at you and know you need help then what should I, I'm supposed to help you. I'm not supposed to look at you and say, how dare you wear that into the house of God. If you act like that, about I'll kick you out, you know. Let them sit down, you know. So I love y'all too, but I mean, that's my heart on it. You know, I would be so mad to find out that somebody showed up, apparently needed the Lord, and got run up out of here before they had a chance to hear about him. 
So we want to be good about that. I expect y'all to love them. Y'all, somebody put an arm around them, greet them, you know, show them where things are at. And uh, I hope that their interactions with everybody here would show them how much Jesus loves them. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Paul knew suffering, and he had faced false accusations, been beaten, left for dead, imprisoned, and hated by his own people. How could a man who has suffered so much rejoice in it? He answers that question through the love of God and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Next time you're facing suffering, jump into the book of Romans, dig into the life of Paul, and remember the purpose of the suffering to produce endurance, character, and hope. We're so glad you joined us today on A Transforming Word, where Pastor Bill Buffington has been working his way through the rich book of Romans. A Transforming Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're in the area, we love to see you in person. We have two services on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and one service midweek. That one is held Wednesday evenings at 7. If you're not in the area, we live stream our services on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also find us online at calvaryinglewood.org. Under the media tab, you'll find links to our messages as well as our mobile app. We're out of time for today. Thanks for deciding to spend your time with us today. We'll see you again next time with more from Romans on a transforming word.